0: So we've been thinking about growing churches from Acts 20, the Apostles' church growth ministry that he'd been practising. Then we've been thinking about church planting, in particular in London, a sort of case study in commission. And now we're thinking about church leadership, leading gospel ministry. So in your Bibles, you might turn to 1 Peter 5, or if you have it on your sheet, as I hope you might have in front of you. Do you have it on your sheet? Um, Who would like to read from the back row there? Thanks very much. Uh, Read one Peter chapter five verses one to five. To the elders among you I appeal as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's sufferings, and one who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not greedy for money, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Uh, thank you. Now, I think we've dealt with some of the issues raised by this paragraph in our studies in Acts 20. And so what I propose to do is not spend much time in this Bible passage, though I think you should. But we've all got the passage, we've all got the commentaries, we can all work on this. So very briefly, uh, to the elders among you, the apostle speaks to that team of senior men running churches. Uh, He appeals in those three terms as a fellow elder, that is, I'm in the same role as you are in my local church, uh, but also as a witness of Christ's sufferings, that is, as an apostle. And I take it he emphasizes the sufferings, um, without mentioning the resurrection here, because in the letter of 1 Peter, he's explaining that uh, uh, this this Christian life involving suffering is the true true grace of God, because he's writing to congregations who are suffering. Um, So he emphasizes, I'm an apostle, who have seen uh, the sufferings of Christ, but also he's driven by the same hope, who also will share uh, in the glory to be revealed. So I take it he's saying, I'm one of you, but I am also also an apostle, but I'm driven like you by the hope of heaven. And then he comes up with this simple statement, be shepherds. Uh, We've looked at that from Acts 20, and I refer you again, not only to Ezekiel 34, but Jeremiah 23 as well, in terms of warning you against... Um, preaching as God's word things that are not God's word. Um, So that's Jeremiah 23. Uh, In terms of pastoral ministry, again, the reminder that this is God's flock, that the people belong to him. Again, the reminder pastoral ministry is redemptive, uh, the Lord and his shepherds who failed him, the good shepherd Jesus, and now as his pastors, where elders are appointed as his pastors once more. Or as Dick Lucas calls them, the sheepdogs. Um, We're not the shepherd. We're the sheepdogs collecting the people to the shepherd. Uh, who is the Lord Jesus. Uh, be servants. Uh, so serving as overseers. So as overseers or bishops in the local congregation, um, I've got no objection to um, uh, having regional um, officers, uh, such as in the Church of England. I think it's, it's um, disappointing that the name bishop hasn't been replaced by, like, by some other name, like regional officer or something like that. Um, but I've got no particular objection to that. You can have a good bishop. You know, Bishop Ryle was a brilliant bishop. Uh, Peter Jensen's a fantastic archbishop. You know, I've got no problem with, the, with having leaders, um, but the actual biblical idea of bishops in a local congregation of elders. So um, uh, that's what uh, Peter is talking about. But what I want us to notice, though, is that you can serve by overseeing. So if oversight um, has the idea of seeing over the flock, uh, uh, the, the, the idea of... Um, care, governing care, or caring governing uh, of, of a congregation, that is not a contradiction with service. And sometimes people make you feel that if you're leading, if you're a strong leader, if you have strong ideas, if, you, if you're proactive as a leader, you know, some of those aspects of leadership which are important to leadership, well, then you're not a servant. And I want to say, I don't see the Bible that, saying that. You know, in other words, you can serve people well by leading them. The flock of uh, Christ's people need leadership. Congregations that have loving, strong leaders thrive. They love to have somebody who leads them well. So I want to encourage you that it is, you know, these are not contradictions in terms. You can serve and love people as a church leader by leading them well. And sometimes what people need above all is for somebody to stand up and say, look, I've prayerfully listened to all that you've said. We're not going to do this. We're going to do that. So follow me. Um, And I think that's important. Of course, the converse is also true. If you do have a a leadership streak in you and you enjoy leading and uh, you're gifted of God to lead or you're growing in your leadership skills as God continues to give you his gifts of leadership, don't forget that your leadership is a ministry, it is a service of the people. Uh, It's not for your own exaltation. It is to serve the people of God. So lead in a way that does them good. Not what they want necessarily, but often it is, worth listening. Um, But do serve their interests. And how are we to do that? Three simple things. Not because you must, but because you're willing. Uh, You don't have to do this job. Um, I, I do get sorry for myself sometimes and um, one of the reasons for going on holiday is to kill the martyr complex um, you know you can think to yourself you know, I'm the only person who's working hard and you know, I'm the only person who's struggling you know, no, no. well there are two remedies to that one is meet a Korean pastor and the second is go on holiday um, and I think that's important actually you can get to feeling very sorry for yourself and what you really need to do is just go have a break just go and do something enjoyable remember how good God is how, remember how blessed and privileged you are. Oh, that wonderful sound of rain. It's just wonderful, isn't it? Uh, come home. So in other words, be willing. Um, there's another way of saying stop complaining. You don't have to do this job. If you don't want to do it, well, don't do it. Resign and somebody else will do it. It's like when one of our uh, elders you know, uh, gets tired running their ha- home group and you know, being involved, and they say, look, I'm exhausted. You know, Could I find another elder because I just feel, you know, nobody's really helping. I say, it's fine. Absolutely fine. Uh, have a couple of years off. Have a year off. Have two years off. Fine. It's not your job to find another elder, but I don't want you doing this job if you're not enjoying it. So, straight away, it's not a kind of, oh, please could you carry on? Please try and carry I know you're exhausted and, you know, could you try? Ca-? It's a recipe for misery, not only for them, but everyone they influence. You say, absolutely fine. Why don't you end as soon as you like? When's- and they're often shocked. And, uh, Well, I could carry on for okay, well, great, as long as you 're enjoying uh, and suddenly they 're more willing than they thought so um, so less complaining um, or don 't do it uh, secondly it 's serving um, not greedy for money, but eager to serve. I would refer to our previous discussion about greedy for money. Um, there are many subtle ways in which my wicked heart and yours can use ministry as an opportunity to gain and get, whether that is uh, my seemingly limitless appetite for personal attention and approval and respect and credibility and all these things that I crave. And we need to keep fighting those things and to uh, try and find our value in Christ and uh, in knowing him and to be servants uh, rather than lords, givers rather than getters. And then examples, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And uh, this lording it thing, um, I think there are probably different cultural kind of expressions of that. Um, you know, African pastors and American pastors, <coughs> and Korean pastors, in my view, have different. There are differently, different culturally acceptable levels of respect. Uh, from an English and an Australian culture I want to be slow to say one is right and one is wrong but I think it's worth listening to each other's perspective you know my Korean colleagues would say you tolerate far too much rebellion and I want to say to him I think you guys tolerate far too much exaltation Um, and there's a discussion to have we need to listen to each other culturally but the, the main thing here is, and when the chief shepherd appears—that's the Lord Jesus—you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. That is, you will be rewarded by the chief shepherd, by the crown of glory. Now, can I just say to you, just for a moment, if you could um, cast your eye with me uh, forward, uh, just a few years—not yet, ne- not next year or the following, just a few years further forward. Um, remember the rainbow. We're all right. It's, hey? it's, it's an old building. Um, okay. Is that all right? Are we safe in here? Keep going. Uh come with me if I may. I'm not sure I can. I mean, this is just extraordinary. Um, Come forward just a few years uh, from now, when we're all gathered uh, in that massive crowd, billions and billions of us from every nation, that countless gathering uh, of God's people. And um, imagine us, the sunshine and uh, no rain, and a sunny day and there we are and we're waiting and everyone's waiting we're, it doesn't matter because we've got forever and uh south africans are over there they're all playing touch football and the koreans are all over there uh playing violin and uh, and uh, there's massive crowds and then from behind the hill in the far distance you sense that uh something is happening and there's a gathering roar and around the corner, and the roar comes round and the people are rushing forward. You can see in the distance the mass of people all swarming forward. You begin to hear now the cheering and the singing and the clapping. And it's just taking forever. And uh, gradually, as it moves, this movement moves through, you begin to see there's someone there. And people are falling down before him. And he's greeting people. And it's just wonderful as you begin to see what's happening. And he makes his way around the people. And as he gathers moves towards you he 's greeting other people over there now you you can see his face, and uh, you can see the expressions on his face and you can see his hands, and you see the wounds, and he 's moving towards you and he 's greeting other people and then would you he 's there in front of you, and you fall flat on your face and um, you begin to Mumbles some words, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, Lord, and thank you so much. And then you feel him pick your elbow up, and you stand up, and he gives you a big embrace, and he says, Well done, good and faithful servant. And the exact way he says that to you, you know, Well done, you good and faithful servant. And you will remember. For eternity, the way he says that to you. And that is the moment I'm living for. Isn't that the moment you're living for? And uh, the apostle reminds the elders of the church uh, when he sees you, he will say, I'd like to give you something. Here is a crown of glory for you to wear because you were faithful to me in ministry. Uh, For some of us, it's not long now. Uh, Me and Paul, it's just a few years now. For others of you, it might be a few years more. But it's not long. It's not long. So live and work for that moment when you see his face. Well, let's look now at the character required to please him and over the page. So I'd like to move from thinking about A church planter, that is any church leader, really, now to a church planter. In other words, the particular characteristics of those who prove effective in planting ministry. So here are some general characteristics for planting, and then we might look at some variable characteristics for different kinds of plants. Okay. So after the primary qualifications of personal godliness, uh, That is, you have to be privately and um, publicly in in a church recognized to be uh, personally godly and going in the right direction. Um, If if you have unrepentant addictions to alcohol uh, or pornography, um, if you have a persistent habit of losing your temper, Uh, with your wife or with anyone else. Uh, You know, if there are serious issues about your personal godliness, it would be better to wait. Um, And any wise senior pastor will say that to you. It doesn't mean it's all over, but it does mean not now. And of course, some people often want to know, well, how bad does it have to be? Um, Well, I don't know. It'd be worth talking about that. Um, you know most people most men certainly have had struggles with porn of some kind at some level but it's got to be something you're on top of you know that is it's got to be something that's an occasional modest issue not something that you're unable to conquer you know you've got to get on top of it you know same with the drinking so it would be worth talking those through and being honest about it because you don't want to have the disgrace and shame of having to leave the ministry because somebody discovers how dreadful it is. Um, But let's be honest. I mean, everyone struggles with these things and there'll be periods in your ministry. I don't think that the reason that the moment this problem emerges, you you leave, but you need to get help early. You need to talk to someone early. You need to say to a senior pastor, you trust, I need help. And any sort of resolution of that kind of issue will be slow and patient. Um, And anybody who's wise will want to Give plenty of opportunity to change, but um, if there are issues like that, it's better to raise it. So, there was a guy who we were an elder at one of our churches who thinking of doing an apprenticeship. Uh, he he did. He said to me. In a moment, I wasn't listening properly. He said, "I said, do you have issues with pornography?" He said, "Not not really." He said, although I have to confess um, that there have been times when I have looked at. Uh, pictures of boys on the internet, um, not naked or anything, but uh, anyway. and I said, I said but it 's not so much a problem at the moment uh, so you know. and I for some reason, it was a busy conversation, and i didn 't click, and he actually resigned his job in order to do the uh, apprenticeship and uh, it, it 's a bit the wrong way around, and then I had another conversation with him, a more proper interview with him. And I said, um, just, to, just tell me again what you were saying, you know. And I suddenly thought, hang on a second. Um, what did you say? And we went through it again. And I thought to myself, actually, I can't encourage you on into full-time ministry. You will be in positions where everyone will assume that there are no issues for you in youth ministry and with children and so on. Um, and I know that nothing terrible has happened, and this is only an occasional issue, but... Um, I'm not going to put a ticking time bomb into ministry. I can't do that. And so I changed my mind. And at first he was really angry with me. And I said, I'm so sorry. It is my fault. I didn't focus, but we can't go. And now he's thrilled because it was the right thing to do. He's an elder in one of our churches. He's on top of the issue, but he's not. we've not put him in a situation where he'll be put into temptation. So, you know, if, if there are issues like that, you've got to talk about them. Uh, ability to teach the Bible. That is not just... The desire to teach the Bible. It's not just that you love the Bible, it is the ability to teach the Bible. And the two are not always go, go together. Lots of people love the Bible. Every Christian should love the Bible. It doesn't me- mean you're actually very clear in it. I think of one very outstandingly godly South African. And you'll laugh at this, I think, because I'm not entirely certain we've got this right, but I think we have. As a teacher, he could not teach except in a monotone tone so every, everything he said was exactly the same tone and, the, and when you heard the sermons and I couldn't get over the fact that this was unbelievably boring over a long period of time and in the end I said to, I know it's weird but I would have you as my right hand man any day of the week planting a church but I think it's too dull you are too dull when I speak when you, when you teach I'm really sorry but the answer is no I think it was the right thing to do the right thing to do. Uh, so it's not just appetite to teach, but ability to teach, and leadership skills. Um, this was very greatly neglected in the Anglican Church for many years, I think, because if you've got churches with congregations in them, they're already there, quite often you can get away with personal godliness and the ability to teach. If you're just a great preacher, then you can occupy a job in an Anglican Church because the crowds are already there. But now the, Anglican, now the congregations have left and they're not there, well, you can be personally godly and a great teacher, but somehow you've got to lead the few that you've got to go out and find the people and bring them back in. And I think, therefore, we need to pay more attention to leadership skills, and especially in church planting. Um, so you actually need to be able to lead people. How can you tell whether you're a leader? By whether anybody follows. So if there's a record where you, people tend to follow you, then you are a leader. Um, but if that it doesn't happen then probably you're not really a leader and not able to manage the household of God. Uh, Given those three basics, then, there are preferable but not mandatory characteristics for leaders of church plants in London. In other words, I'm looking for these. Uh, We can survive where we're weak on one or two or without one, but these are what I'm looking for preferably. Ten general characteristics to recruit, nourish, and pray for. And remember, in many cases, when you're training, you're looking for potential, not reality yet. So we're not all these things. We're all work in progress. But one gifting, in terms of gifting, generalists more than specialists. If you're going to plant a church, you're often the only staff member or the only part-time staff member. Or something you need to be pretty good at most things. Um, so in the early days, for example, um, I actually did the programmes on a Sunday, or you know, I cut out the cardboard camels for the for the children's talk, and I, you know, I would have to do, you know, help with the setting out. The, you know, I'd have to do most things. We had willing, able. Uh, people in the church, but you've got to be pretty much a generalist. If you're a specialist, you know, brilliant preacher, useless admin, useless children who can't talk to anybody, a brilliant preacher, you're not probably going to be great for a planter. You're better on a bigger team where you can supplement weaknesses with somebody else. Obvious, isn't it? So, But generally, planters need to be generalist rather than specialist, and I have to say um, evangelist um, particularly, but anyway. Secondly, leadership, driver more than supporter. Um, we... You know, some people do make things happen. They just drive, they lead, and others are fantastic team players. There's a bit of a kind of macho thing going on in men. That it's very hard to believe you're an alpha male if you're not a driver. Um, I think you can be an utterly alpha male and be a supporter. In other words, you can be the toughest hombre in town. Um, you know, as hard as nails, bigger muscles than anybody else. You just don't. You're not blessed with great ideas. Ideas. Something else. So um, I think we need to be able to talk about this. We often talk about number one, number two uh, on a staff. Um, you know, so are you a number one leader or number two? And I, it, it'd be nice if we could find some different um, terminology because some people uh, would actually be better as, in a support ministry. Uh, quite often I've noticed with staff, <coughs> of course you could do both, you'd be better though in one and the other. And Quite often the tendency is that guys who are absolutely brilliant as right-hand men feel under such pressure from everybody else and often their wives to go and run their own thing that they go and run their own thing and then spend 40 years struggling to build a church and aren't great. So I can think of one or two people who I think would have been more effective if they stayed long-term as a supporter on a team where they have some specialist skills that would have been extraordinarily fruitful. And now there are a generalist, one man in the church, trying to get a church going. And it's absolutely, you know, it's dreadful, really hard. And it's just hard. And so I would encourage you, don't either take offense if somebody says, I wonder whether you'd be better off being in a support ministry. Um, but also, even if you could do both, you know, ask, where would I be most fruitful for the gospel? Uh, thirdly, skills, relational more than Professional. I think in a church plant, when you're kicking off, not, not much can be very high quality because you just don't have enough people with enough, therefore, specialist gifts to have brilliant everything. You know, if you've got a church plant of 15 people or 30 people, it's very unlikely that you've got brilliant musicians, brilliant sound desks, brilliant welcomers, brilliant PR, brilliant financiers, brilliant preachers, brilliant small group. Because, bri- you, you, I mean, you are a very unusual group if that's the case which means lots of stuffs going to be low quality. And therefore, you need to be somebody who operates really well relationally rather than professional, uh, professional standards. If you are somebody who is enormously frustrated by less than perfect, less than professional standards, I would say don't plumb a church. Be in a bigger church. Uh, so I've got some staff like that. I've, I've deliberately recruited them because they have very high standards. Everything they do... It's incredibly high standard. The output is quite modest, but what they produce is just perfect. But don't be a planter if you're like that, because you're going to have to work with messy, you're going to be, you know, it's just going to be very ordinary. So relational more than professional. Fourthly, delight people more than crowds. That is what gets you going. So I've got one or two staff who love the crowd. The juices flow when there's a crowd, and uh, they're on best form when there's a big crowd. And when it's not, they feel deflated. You can see it. There's a real performance thing in them. And I think so, of that's just temperament. Uh, but others, uh, it doesn't matter whether there's two. I was talking this earlier. Andy Mason doesn't seem to mind whether there's five people or 500. He really doesn't mind. Um, and I think that, it, that it, it's great if people, if you can find people a reward, then you can plant and not spend your whole ministry wishing your church was bigger. One of the things I keep saying to our church plants when I visit them early on to preach and encourage them, I say to them uh, how good it is to be here, how good the minister is, commend him in front of them and say, "Do you know, at our church, which is ten times bigger than yours, everybody looks back to the days when we were your size and says, I wish we were small again. They always say, do you remember when, we all knew each other, we were very close, and we did everything together. Wasn't it brilliant? Okay. So don't wish for the days, don't wish these days away. Don't despise the day of small things. Uh, and I want to say to them, don't, don't um, spend your time wishing you were something different than you are, but enjoy God now. Learn God, enjoy him now. You lack nothing. You are a church Just because you're 35 rather than 35,000, you know, you're a church, so enjoy God as a church now. Um, So make your delight people rather than crowds. Opportunism, scavenger more than sacrifice. That seems an ungodly thing to say, and probably there's a better way of saying it. What I mean by that is there are some people who say, uh, yeah, we have got a couple of musicians, but... Maybe they should go and play at that congregation over there because they need them. And So people who are so godly that they're always giving stuff away um, somehow never actually gather anything together. And I, it's, it's, I'm not quite sure how to express it, but you want something of the hunter-gatherer scavenger. Uh, who's some, I don't know, I met somebody, and he was a musician, and I persuaded his pastor, and he said he'd come and play for six months, so he's here. And I found somebody from over there, and they said they could only do it part-time, but he's here. And I managed to rumble up a couple of um, drummers from over there And, uh, yeah, these sax players, um, yeah, they're not actually Christians yet, so they're not doing anything, but I just persuaded them to come and play because they could jam together. And, um, yeah, you've got this crowd. um, Well, I borrowed them from, you know, somehow it's a kind of, there's a scavenger mentality, and I think if you can do that. Now, I find it in my own heart to difficult sometimes to distinguish between that and greed. So I think you don't need to try and repent of greed, but for the sake of the gospel, You've got to gather. You've got to scavenge and find people and money and resources and a venue and, and so on. So I'm the kind of person, I several times, drove around Wimbledon. We, we, started, we start things because there's a sign up with a number. And I just kind of ring it. And then um, I think, oh, that's a good place. Actually, why do pull over the car, leave the lights flashing, rush upstairs. Uh, are you interested in a hire on a Sunday for, for proper money? And they say, yeah, what's your hours? Ten, you know, we open at 12. How about something 10 and 12? You know, only for a short, short period, just trial it out. Yeah, I'm interested in that. Um, okay, well, um, you know, and suddenly we've got a venue. Just because, I thought, oh, give it a go. So it's uh, so a kind of opportunism scavenger thing. Um, planning. Tactician more than strategist. What I mean by that is, if there's a distinction, if a strategist is somebody who loves global Theory, you know, there there are people who are both conference junkies. I guess some of you may be like that, uh, but also kind of strategy junkies. So you love discussing big picture strategy. Uh, I'm actually not really interested in that myself, and I'm not really looking for that in a church planter. If a tactician is somebody who just I'm not quite sure about what Western society needs, but I can start this little group here in this hall. That's the person I want to plant. The other person can go and write the books. Well, I want somebody who, can, somebody who can get a Bible study going in this hall. I don't care whether they can describe it or what book it comes from. Um, I just want them to get it done. I want them to, to make it happen. A tactician. So, you know, for example, um, Tim Keller, I know this is slightly strange because he went to New York, but still there were people there when he got there. You know, he can write the books on Western society. I don't want somebody who can write, who's going to write books on Western society. I'm very happy for them to go to college. I'm very happy to work for Tim Keller. I want tacticians, people who can get something going in this building. Uh, appearance, confident more than anxious. Funny, I should say that, but we're weird, aren't we? The way people present and look matters a lot more than we as Christians ever really want to acknowledge. And it's funny, we don't talk about it, so I'm not actually going to talk about it now. Um, and yet, there's something about this. You know, you know the people at a human and social level, the people that inspire confidence in you, people that you'd like to be like, people that you want to listen to, people you want to know, people who are attractive. I don't mean look beautiful because there, there, there's other complications there. I mean people who are convincing and those who aren't. You know, it's a reality. I'm actually seeing it. In staff and i don 't mean it 's an appearance thing it 's a kind of character thing that comes out in the way people present and so on um, so you know i've just been at the ministry division training week there are some guys you just think crumbs you you we use the language of you you are an impressively there 's something about you I, I would listen I would want to know what you think about things, and there are other people and it 's not like that you know and i'm not allowed to use the right language but we know what we mean don't we it's somebody who inspires confidence and other people don't and it's worth asking do you think i've got the confidence to be a leader or do you think i haven't got the confidence to be a leader the honest answer is i'm not sure which means no okay you want to know that rather than get 10 years into a plant and wonder why nothing's ever happened Um, Capacity, extensive rather than focused. Um, That is, some people have a very focused capacity. Um, I've had staff and apprentices who prepare the finest sermons you will ever hear, but it took them all week to do it. And uh, they need to be in a more established team where they've got the time to do that. Um, I want somebody with a large capacity who can work late into the night without collapsing, having a breakdown. Um, you know, you've got, to, you've got to have plenty of capacity about you for church planting because there's lots of stuff that needs to be done. And when you're trying to prepare decent talks at the same time... I and mean, one of the great things, of course, of church planting, I often think is, <clears throat> you know, some of the curates who come to Donald now, they prepare four sermons in a, in a term in their first year. You know, in their second year, they might have five, you know, in three months. I'll give them one series of three and a couple of others, and I expect them to spend two weeks, you know, or a week preparing a talk. I want them with very high standards of preparation. I want them to have time to read widely and to establish good patterns of pre- so that when they're going fast later on, they can go fast. Planter, you don't get that. You're on every week. That is a high capacity. You know, there are not many people straight out of college who are able to do that. So you're going to have to have a high capacity. Flexibility, Adaptable more than traditional. This is pretty obvious, isn't it? You've got to change the ideas. Well, let's do it differently. Well, all right, well, let's try meeting at four. Well, how about we meet on Saturday? Well, why don't we meet here? And then we, you know, you've got to have adaptable. You've got to be able to think outside the box um, for planting because you often can't do things in the traditional way. Wife. Great to have a wife in general. Good to have a wife in church planting, particularly because you don't have many women in your team because, by definition, you're a small group um and therefore i mean if you had some outstanding women in your core group then perhaps you you could get away with not having a wife but it'd be preferable to have a wife i think and if you have to have one that's involved more than background Uh, what i mean by that is i think in larger church structures you can you can have ministry wives uh, who are lovely godly women who love their husbands uh, but really struggle to do very much ministry themselves but their ministry is supporting their husbands, and that's fine. You've got 200 women in the church, of whom 50 are very capable in lots of ministry, and if the ministry wife keeps her husband on the road and loves the Lord is fine. But in a plant, uh, you often need the, ministry wife, the minister's wife to be very engaged and able to do ministry yourself. So I would think that if you have a wife who's, who's very shy... Um, sorry, I need to carefully, because shy doesn't mean ineffective. I've noticed there are two, within two um, bands, if you like, amongst for the wives amongst the staff wives at Donald. At one end are some wives who are incredibly effective at actually doing ministry, particularly to the generation below them. Um, so that is, they'll do CE courses, they'll do evangelism, they'll train people in Bible study group leaders, they do patterns of gospel ministry. At the other extent, other end are the wives who say. I couldn't do that, I'm I'm not very good up front I couldn't do that and they say to uh, to others, I'm not very good at that and the other women say, I'm not very good at that and then they say, why don't we gather together and pray about how we're not very good at this and and they're very very attractional to people of their own generation so at this end I often find people are intimidating to their contemporaries but very good with people who are younger to them and at this end those who are less confident are very attractional amongst their contemporaries because they're not threatening but they don't do as much training and sort of word ministry amongst the generation. I I think you can rejoice in both ends and everything in between but it's just good to know where you are. Just, you know, not in an ugly way, but just be aware my wife is a a shy person and I think maybe she'd struggle in this situation. Whatever. Okay? There are ten general characteristics and then ten variable characteristics to choose. So these are things to think about for what kind of church plant you're going to do, to choose to recruit, nourish and pray for very, very quickly straight through them. Firstly, what is your mission or target? Social culture. Um, So what is the age? That is your best at discipling people five years younger than you. Ethnicity? If you're Asian or black, you're going to be much better with some communities than others. Obviously, the Asian or black community. Um, What is the class of the leader? Uh, I talk about chino jeans and combat trousers. People don't seem to understand that. Do you know what chino, chino trousers are? Chinos are... Um, who's wearing chinos? Yeah. Sorry? Would you like to stand up so we can see chinos? Trousers? <laughs> you were enjoying yourself? Stand on your chair. Stand on your, your chair. Okay, they're, they're, they're chinos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. S- smooth. <laughs> Mid- middle class. All right, now... <clears throat> This, of course, is vast generalisation full of ugly prejudice, but I'm going to do it anyway.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Chino is, is middle-class, smooth smooth clothes. Jeans are more sort of general social wear, and then combat trousers, you, you know, well, you know what combat trousers are. Some ministers, you could describe their ministries in those categories. Right. A lot of, in our country, a lot of free church people don't understand why the Anglican churches... Have so many more people than they do. And that's because they don't understand the value of Chino Ministry. Alright? So I can think of guys who are brilliant evangelists, combat trousers. Who follows combat trousers? Students follow combat trousers. Let's go out and leaflet the Muslims and let's take a loud hailer. Follow me, combat trousers ministry. Alright? But if you're a young family with small children, do you want to let your small children anywhere near that man? No. What do you want? If you're a young family with small children, you want Chino's ministry. You want safe, reliable, sensible, measured, not going to say anything that's going to damage or hurt my children. I'm a parent now. So I don't want the minister who's, got, who's the combat trousers minister and jeans is in the middle. So what I'm saying is I think a lot of free church people don't understand that the Anglicans understand measured, high-quality, sensible, safe ministry. The Anglican churches are full of families, full of kids. They don't evangelize the Muslims. They've just got big churches. Okay? So you need to understand that about um, what you're trying to do, who you're trying to reach. But if you put a Chinos minister in student ministry, students, students want combat. Certainly the men do. So you want to think about that. <clears throat> Uh, what is the church culture of the intended plant? So given the cult- target culture, what is the culture of the plant? Sometimes your church can't reach everybody in the area, and you haven't got the people to reach those. So sometimes you can't reach everyone. You'd love to be able to. You can't. You've got 15 or 20 young family people. You'd love to reach the elderly retired, but you just can't because you haven't got any at the moment. So you start with what you can do, and so it's worth thinking about the plant as well as the culture. So an understanding of parish or school or university outreach ministries by the leader. Uh, What is the nature of the planting team? Uh, The size, the maturity, the gifting. You're going to need a different group for an evening yuppie congregation or for an Afro-Caribbean family congregation, it's obvious. What is the intended growth dynamic? You've got to work out how do you think this plant's going to grow. It's amazing to me sometimes people want to plant and all they're working out is who's going to go. No one is even thinking about how do you propose that church is going to grow. What, how, I know it's great just to put people there, but do, you have, do they have any idea how they're actually going to impact the local community? And I think in a, in a time when planting is suddenly sexy, you can think an awful lot about, yeah, I'm going to plant, we're all going to plant. We've got a venue, we've got money. You know, we're all going to go. We'll go next November, And etc., etc. Et right. Okay, now what do we do? You get there... Or you almost get there and no one's worked out. Well, how actually are we going to reach the people we're trying to reach? So um, what is the growth dynamic? For example, do you need a children's worker or an administrator before a music director or a women's minister? Now, I, I mean, I've got, some, you know, for some of the kind of church plants I'm looking at, you know, an administrator and children's worker uh, is worth more in the early days than a music director and... Uh, women's worker incidentally uh, for women training in ministry uh, lots to be said and obviously these things are sensitive please forgive me I don't know your culture but I do think that for many women training in ministry because often in a church plant the first employer won't be, the first staff member won't be a woman but a man um, you make yourself more employable as a woman if you've got two ministries to offer so if you can do admin and children's ministry frankly almost every planter you said to a planter with a family congregation, There's a woman here who can do children's work and admin. You are the next appointment, uh, next appointment. Absolutely. So, if you can train in two, or if, it, if it's an evening work, if you can do women's work and admin, you are the next appointment. But if you can only do one of those, you may take another a male staff member next before you. you. Just make yourself more employable by having more than one ministry. Um, training. What is the DNA of the apprentices? Sorry, the DNA of the apprentices is more important than college or curacies for network leader. Um, I think what I'm saying there is where did they get their training? So what patterns of ministry do they have? And people that you've trained yourself are much more reliable. I've made mistakes assuming that. People have come from famous churches. You know, they come from evangelical churches. Clearly great ministry going on there. They've arrived, and their patterns of ministry have been nothing like what I expected. Uh, And, you know, I've been absolutely astonished. I just thought that particular, you know, uh, expectations of working hours or expectations of communication, expectations of servant-heartedness, all kinds of things you'd think were, they're not. They're very different in different churches. So it does mean that there's an advantage in the DNA of your own apprentices. In terms of support, where where will you get that? We talk about blue sky over your head, safety net under your feet. So the congregation's... Uh, the plants, we want the plants to have a blue sky, to invent their own way of ministry, but to provide safety with clusters, uh, shared events and ministries, and our relationships with the leader. Leadership styles, we're thinking about what kind of leadership style do you have. Some are consultative, some are inspirational, some are authoritative. Now, there needs to be a mix, but what will be needed for the lay people involved? So think about, it. in terms of the people taking, if you've got a group of mature Christians. Who have experience in ministry and have a lot to offer, it might be that someone who is either authoritarian or inspirational would actually just be a bit tiresome. You know, the 25 year old has got great ideas, and we're going to up an atom, and you've got some people here who actually have done a church plant before, they're five years older than the leader, I think actually this is not a chemistry that's going to work well and a more consultative style that can respect those people and actually generate a sense of team ethic. For this group of people, that's brilliant. For that group of people, young, inexperienced people or whatever, consult- consultative style, you just go round and around and around, around talking, and really what you need is somebody who is inspirational or authoritarian. Okay? So different groups. Uh, what is the uh, team ethic? Uh, what's the team ethic needed? Uh, accountability, in an, how much accountability, how much independence... How much financial, financial resourcing but without burden? How much loyalty and resentment? So, for example, my colleague Richard Perkins, who many of you will know, is an extremely able, likeable naval officer. Uh, he is a strong man uh, worthy of great respect. So one of the things we worked out was, I'm not going to plant with him anywhere close to me. Because if we're too close, I will drive him up the wall and he'll drive me up the wall. So he'd gone out to Ballum, plenty of space, so he loves to see me every so often. So we ring and we, we chat and we're friends and we love each other. You know what I mean, Ben? But you wouldn't want Richard Perkins close to me. I wouldn't want him on my staff team or... Um, well, we, we've talked about it, you know, because he's a chief. And so a little bit of common sense about that. Uh, stage of life of the leader, what is your age, age? Um, the number or the schooling of the children or those issues, the culture of ministry, and entrep- entrepreneurial needs. Uh, see, seeing and seizing opportunities and ways around problems. Um, I said in the cathedral on Monday that I'm not sure uh, it's so much entrepreneurial character as entrepreneurial convictions that you need. Now, I know that Mark Driscoll and other people talk a lot about you know, entrepreneurial character, um, Yes, there's some truth in that. Of course, there's some truth in that. However, I've seen little people do great things. And, you know, I think the reason is it may be that you are not naturally uh, a very strong or courageous person. But it's amazing what the gospel can do to people. In other words, if you believe the gospel, if you actually believe people are going to hell uh, if you don't get them to heaven, uh, it's amazing what people become in the strength of the Holy Spirit, by convictions. Now, I'm not saying, therefore, you ignore character and breeding and all the rest. I mean, William Taylor, who's the minister at uh, St. Helens Bishopsgate in London, uh, was, uh, went to school at Eton. He went to Cambridge. Uh, then he was a green jackets no, uh, army officer. He knows how to lead. Everything about his background is leadership. I, I, I rib him mercilessly Because you go to uh, his church in September, and he'll say... Uh, It's so good to see you all here. You're very, very welcome. If you're here for the first time tonight, then you will want to go to the welcome desk over there. If you're here for uh, the second year of your time here, then you will want to sign up tonight for the Readmark Learn two groups. And if you are here and you're a student, then you'll want to go to the student groups over there. You know, the you'll want to has got nothing to do with it. (laughs) You will go there, you will go here, and you will go there. Is everyone clear? It's brilliant, absolutely brilliant. So I'm not saying you ignore the natural and educational and social leadership privileges that you have. I'm just saying that uh, the gospel can give people convictions, entrepreneurial convictions that make them try and risk and do things they might never have thought So discover yourself with humble, honest inquiry. Uh, In other words, ask people you trust who can tell you the truth. Recruit teams where you are weak, staff, elders, and members. You know, the Bible everywhere talks about team ministry. It is very unlikely that on your own you're everything your church needs. Very, very unlikely. But that means you need to work out what you are and what you're not so you can look for what you're not in somebody else. So the inability to hear what you're not is a crippling thing. You have to be able to let somebody say I don't think you're great consultatively and I wonder whether somebody could could just draw alongside and help you. Accept your weaknesses and pray. You will want to ask questions. We don't have much time, but we do have a few moments where, uh, if there are a couple of questions, we can certainly take those. So, but be quick about it. Sharp questions, sharp answers, you know, we'll see how we go. Right? Questions?
1: Thanks, Richard. The, probably in relation to just what you just talked about, uh, knowing yourself, um, getting help with self awareness. So, there's two questions. First is, uh, just things that you've perhaps strategies that you think um, you've developed to help potential planners become more self-aware is there any sort of assessment things that you do or
0: yeah two things on that um, firstly I'm not, I haven't developed assessment uh, modules and I think that's a great weakness so I think the fact that Geneva have a great assessment tool happy plug, brilliant Um, And I know we need to develop that. I've done quite a lot instinctively that is not going to work if we're going to multiply and scale up furthermore. So we're going to have to formulate uh, some of these assessment tools. So that's the first thing. The second thing is, of course, if you've got a mentoring system and apprenticeships, that should be happening relationally anyway. So, um, you know, you need to listen to your reviews. There needs to be ongoing review. How you do that, whether you do that formally, formally helps because then it actually gets done. Or, uh, it, you know, for my, me, I'm a very kind of relationalist. I can't help just telling people all the time. I was telling Scott what he should be doing on the plane on the way here and telling him when to, I can't help it, I'm just constantly training. Yep. Um, so it'll vary slightly, but I think, yeah, assessment tools are a great
1: opportunity. Yep. So the second question is to do the driver, supporter in leadership. Is that... Um, how, how much does the context that you're going into plant... Inform that and perhaps the team or the sort of leader that you have, so for example, the big um, high power driver leader going into a housing trust development yep, compared to say a mayfair situation, Would you just like to comment ar- around that uh,
0: I think i'm sure you, basically you, you've, your question has the answer in it, of course, it varies hugely according to context, um, but I still think if you 're going to plant in a housing estate context you, Um, if you've got somebody who has absolutely no idea or plans about what you might hope to do there's not much point starting something so uh, yeah differently for different contexts but nevertheless planting is about starting something if you're going to start something you've got to know something about where you're trying to go so inherently you've got to have some a bit more intentionality drive and direction than something that already exists where you haven't haven't got choices to make because you've already got it Anyone else got a question they'd like to uh, to ask? Yep, Will, just in the front here. In
1: terms of a
0: formal process for appraising both leadership and your plants, hmm. ongoing in, in a regular way. Just repeat the yeah. question. Yeah, yeah. Do we have an on, a formal ongoing uh, process for appraisal and uh, of both planters and plants? Um, We're supposed to. Uh, All the mentors and apprentices do. Uh, So as soon as somebody else stepped in and organised it properly, yes, we do. Um, In my staff team, for example, we're supposed to have annual reviews and quite often it doesn't happen. Uh, And I got bitten by that. And one of the things that's worth saying, by the way, is that um, when you go through a season of growth, as we have had a a sustained season of growth, sometimes your infrastructure lags behind the levels of growth and I got bitten this year that not enough was written down so people didn't understand how decisions were being made, we had to make some hard decisions and I I had kickback from the congregation so I think uh, if the season is good now I'd say a few things, one get your legals in right, get get your terms of contract right so that people are not angry with you when they come to the end of your term, yeah get some reviews in and sometimes laymen are really good at this because their working life um, helps them understand accountability and moving people on in a way that clergy were very relational and often we're not ready for that kind of stuff. So I would say if you're in a good season, do it now, because when you're having a difficult decisions to make, it's a nightmare.
1: Can, can I just follow up on that question? How do, you, how do you measure health in your church, given numbers is such a, an unhelpful category sometimes with blokes?
0: measure health, uh, probably the prayer meeting. Uh, Philip Jensen says giving. Uh, so I'd probably uh, attendance at the prayer meeting and giving. In other words, they're, they're um, measures of godliness. And you have to say also the mission, the evangelism. So I would have thought those three, prayer meeting, giving, uh, guests in the room at the guest events. Uh, so not just running events, but guests in the room. Those three are indicators of godliness. Great. Right. Richard. Uh, Richard, given what you're on about at Commission, are you primarily recruiting apprentices for um, planting churches or are you looking at people more broadly for ministry? And sort of as a follow-on from that, are you looking to, um, as well as planters, to get those people in supporting roles uh, to yeah. come in alongside them? Thank you. Thank um, you. No, we haven't been training them just just for planting. In fact, we established... um, So the Cornhill Training Course trained people in preaching. We went broader and trained people in gospel ministry. Um, And so lots of our apprentices have gone into supporting roles, number two, number three, and bigger staff teams. So some of the churches are getting bigger now, and they have quite large staff teams. but what I'm having to do with now as the director of commission where our primary aim is planting is I'm wanting to sharpen up that the, um, the apprentices that are going to plant. And, and particularly the next step in terms of recruiting for training in plants together, that's going to be specifically planting. So, no, more generally. That's uh,
1: what sort of conflicts uh, come up with uh, multicultural congregations? If at all, and how do you resolve them? Yep. Uh, what
0: conflicts come up with multicultural conv- congregations? How would you resolve them? Um, London, forty percent born outside. Um, what we let me give you this, this as a thought. Thank you. Um, London is multicultural, but actually segregated. So, although everybody talks, all the chattering middle class, you know, they all talk about we're, we're all multiracial. Actually, the Pakistani culture does not mix with the Indian, does not mix with the Arabic, does not mix with, mix with the Polish cultures. So they're segregated. Um, the doors of all our churches are open, but we, you don't find that many people from a different culture of the congregation are moving, walking in. So... Um, what you find is, you know, you've got this white congregation, you're longing for every... because you love people of every culture because you're a Christian. You wish they'd all walk in the door. Guess what? They don't. You know, three Caribbean lads walked in, sat at the back After, at the end of it. Everyone's all over them. It's so great to see you. And they don't come back next week. <laughs> because they walked in. The church looked different from them. It felt different to anything they ever met in, in uh, the West Indies. And they know that down their road... Uh, there's an african church, so they end up there. It's full of black people, and they love it. It's fantastic. So what do you do about that? Uh, in my view, in order to try and reach all nation, nations, what you need to do is to try and target ministries for p- specific cultures, obviously linguistically or culturally, uh, try and get people who know what the culture involves, and try and set up, make it smaller so that it's more appropriate, if necessary, to reach into particular cultures. People then say, ah, oh, but that's uh, homogeneous unit principle stuff. You know, you're not that doesn't reflect the diversity of the church. But I want to say um, integration is a process, not a moment. So if you can reach into different cultures, work with them, and as they become born again within their culture, start at some stage to introduce them to the other congregations in your network and start as you get to know each other to rejoice in one another and then there'll be some things you end up doing together and you all get to heaven and will be very, very happy with each other. But I do think that if you try and start the ideal congregation that's suitable for everybody, it isn't. It just isn't suitable for everybody. As soon as you have any congregation, it has a culture that is appropriate to some and not to most. So you've got to start different congregations with different cultures and don't worry too much about that. And the way to get over your longing for multiculturalism is to introduce the congregations to each other and that's why networking is a good idea.
1: Thanks. Last question?
0: Uh, Richard, how quickly do you put apprentices into your church plants? I guess just trying to balance that it's very important to train people with the fact that church plants as they start are very busy and there's a lot to do and good training takes a lot of time and effort. Um, I think it varies enormously uh, according to the apprentice and the situation. So uh, when my Afrikaans apprentice, uh, Murray, who was a very, very able and impressive young man, um, said, shall I start a Bible study amongst Afrikaans people? I said, yes, will start a Bible study. Let's see if it turns into a church. It did turn into a church, um, and he ran it before he'd been to college. Um, but he, he was never an independent rebel. He was absolutely on side, solid, and very high quality. Um, so I've got no problem with starting congregations with apprentices who have that level of godliness, leadership, and biblical knowledge that he did uh, when, they're, when they're completely you know, manageable. Um, others are not able to do that kind of thing. Most wouldn't be able to do that sort of thing. Uh, in terms of how quickly you might put them into a plant, uh, to plant, when they come out of Bible college, if they've done an apprenticeship and Bible college, they've already had six years training. We're actually trying to shorten some of that. I know that this is heresy in this part of the world, uh, but I think it is a problem that training takes so long because I think sometimes training is best done on the job. I think there's really good interactive training that can go on. Um, so, certainly for most of our guys, when they've come out of Bible college, they ought to be ready to plant. You know, some of them, my, my colleague who's coming to Walton, for example, um, said to me, Look, I'm planting this church. I feel like I'm a new, new, I'm going to need lots of support and training. I said to him, Simon, you're 38 years old. You're not a kid anymore. You are ready to lead a church. You know, you've know, got to say at some point, man up and start leading. You're, you'll learn. Of course there'll be issues. There always are. But this kind of thing that I can't do anything because I'm not properly trained, at some point you kind of to say, yes, you are. You're properly trained. Get on with it. So it varies according to apprentice. It also varies what kind of plant you're going to put them in. You know, To put them in, somebody into a housing estate, there'll be very, lots of challenges there. I want to be careful about who we put in. Um, So I think it depends on the apprentice and the situation. But in many cases, I'd rather get on with it and support than stay out of it and try and train in a kind of vacuum of non-engagement. As if you can learn in the classroom what we're all going to have to do and eventually you'll be ready and then bang, you'll get it all right. Let's get you in but support you and stay involved and talk you through and train you through. That's a much better way in my view and that's why networking is a good idea.